All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial with Frank Graney, a News Talk original podcast. Joseph Pushka has been found guilty of the murder of Ashleen Murphy. She was 23 and a school teacher. She was killed while out exercising along a canal path. The defendant of Lanali Grove, Mugla County Offaly, was mostly unmoved in the dock and had his head down as the verdict was delivered before the Central Criminal Court. Mr Justice Tony Hunt said he agreed with the jury's decision and is glad they didn't waste any more time with what he described as Pushka's nonsense. The judicial process cannot bring our darling Ashling back, but we are relieved that this verdict delivers justice. It is simply imperative that this vicious monster can never harm another woman again. On the afternoon of the 12th of January last year, Ashley Murphy, a 23-year-old primary school teacher, was killed while exercising along the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore. And after being found guilty of her murder last week, Josef Pushka was today handed a life sentence. I'm Frank Graney, Courts Correspondent for News Talk. And I'm Ashling Moore, Radio Producer. I've been in the Central Criminal Court for every minute of the Ashley Murphy murder trial and I was there again today to see her killer being sentenced. This evening, we'll bring you the loving tributes made by Ashling's family at today's hearing. And we'll hear from some of those who helped bring Josef Pushka to justice. This is All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Welcome to episode 20, One in a Million. So a life sentence for Josef Pushka and it was merely a formality in the end because, as we've said in previous episodes, judges have no discretion when it comes to sentencing convicted murderers. No, they don't. They should, in my opinion, but they don't. Uh, Mr Justice Tony Hunt's hands were very much tied in terms of sentencing. It's the same mandatory life sentence for murderers, regardless of whether they put their hands up and admit their guilt or go the other way and take a trial, as Josef Pushka did. And the judge did have some interesting remarks to say about that, which we'll return to later in this episode. Um, Today's hearing, I should say, didn't take place in Court 13. It was moved next door to Court 14, a much smaller courtroom with the dock on the other side and the right-hand side of of the room and the jury box then directly across from it on the left-hand side. No jury today, obviously, so uh, members of the media uh, filled those seats in the jury box to allow more space for people on the benches behind the lawyers. At about half past 10 then this morning, uh, five prison officers brought Josef Pushka into the courtroom. Uh, a new interpreter got into the dock beside him. And a few minutes later, then Ashleen's parents, Catherine and Ray, her sister Amy, brother Cahill, and boyfriend Ryan took their seats. It was standing room only uh, with lots of other members of Ashling's family, as well as friends and supporters, uh, the investigation team, members of the public, all in attendance. Uh, once again, an overflow court was open to facilitate everybody wanting to attend today's sentence hearing. And it actually took quite a while for the sentence hearing to get underway because the judge had to give his reasoning behind his decision to allow certain pieces of evidence to go to the jury. Yeah, there were a number of pre-trial matters left over, so they were dealt with um, before the sentence hearing got underway. As we were able to reveal in our last episode, there were two weeks of legal argument before the trial uh, began last month. Um, The defence raised issues about the admissibility of certain evidence, including CCTV, DNA, uh, the confession that Josef Pushka made at St. James's Hospital in Dublin. And while Mr Justice Hunt had allowed all of that evidence to go to the jury in some shape or form, he did have to explain the reasoning um, behind his rulings in great detail. He did that today, took him about an hour and a half. Um, and as soon as he was finished then, uh, one of the key members of the Garda investigation team, Detective Sergeant David Scahill, uh, was then called to the witness box. And he was led through a summary of the facts of the case by the prosecuting barrister, Miss Anne-Marie Lawler. That's right. And then the jury heard some details about Josef Pushka. Um, We heard that he came to Ireland in 2012. We know that he is originally from Slovakia. Uh, When he came to Ireland, he originally lived in Dublin city centre. He moved to Tullamore in 2018. No record of him working in Ireland. Uh, No record of him coming to Garda attention while in Ireland. Uh, No evidence of any previous convictions. Um, We know and we heard again today that he is the father of five children. Um, He lived with them and his wife uh, in Mukla. 
Um, also living there, we heard today for the first time, were his two brothers, uh, their wives and their children. So three families living in that five bedroom house in Mukla. And before Detective Sergeant Scahill stepped out of the box, Mr Justice Hunt complimented him and his colleagues for what he described as a case that was impressively investigated and one that led to a proper conclusion. Mm-hmm. And the court then heard from Ashling's loved ones with her boyfriend Ryan Casey, the first to make a statement outlining how much Ashling meant to him and how devastated he is by her loss. And Frank, we should say that you and I had a chat before we came on here uh, about how best to deliver these statements. Mm-hmm. And instead of just presenting you, the listeners, with bits and pieces from them, we've decided to read them word for word in full. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do. These were the most incredible statements, uh, wonderful tributes to Ashling, And I suppose it spoke to how those closest to her have been utterly devastated by what happened. And we did speak. They are lengthy. It took quite some time for them um, to be delivered to the court today. But I think um, it would be unfair and unjust to leave a single word out. Yeah. So with that in mind, Frank is going to read Ryan's statement first. I'll then read Amy's and Frank will finish with the words of Ashling's mother, Kathleen, which was read out on her behalf. Yeah. And just to paint a a picture, I suppose these statements, victim impact statements are often read out by a Garda or a barrister. Um, Certainly Amy and Ryan would have been under no pressure to deliver them uh, themselves, but they chose to. They wanted to read them out in person, which is incredibly brave of them both, especially when you consider how close they were to the dock as they delivered them. Yusuf Pushka was literally right over their left shoulders as they gave their um, statements. Ryan, uh, as you say, was first up. He walked behind the dock to take his place in the witness box. And before he spoke, he placed a beautiful framed photograph of Ashling with her fiddle in the box for all to see. Ashling, we know, was a very talented Irish traditional musician. Uh, the fiddle was her instrument of, of choice. And that photo remained there uh, for the rest of today's sentence hearing. Ryan then, having placed that photograph down, took a deep breath. And these are the words that then followed. And I should say before I begin that from time to time, uh, Ryan actually spun around in the witness box to look at and speak directly to Yosef Pushka. Ashling and I first met on the 6th of September in 2013 at a local rugby club disco in Tullamore, which was 10 years ago this year. We were both just 15 and it was our first time to ever meet, even though we only lived seven or eight minutes up the road from each other. I knew, even way back then, that there was just something so special about her. Her beautiful and warm personality, coupled with that big, distinctive and wholesome smile that I grew to love more and more as time went on. The very next day, I just couldn't resist. I felt that there was genuinely something so special about her, so I just had to text her. So from that day forward, we started texting each other. And after a number of weeks and meetups, we were in a relationship together until the following May of 2014, until we went our separate ways. As I suppose, looking back on it now, we were both still so young. We both had a lot going on at that age. But during that time that we were together, we had gotten so, so close to each other. We texted each other every day, nonstop, had countless dates, nights out, house parties together. We'd even spend five to six hours on the phone to each other, two or three nights a week until all hours of the morning, just talking about everything and anything until one of us practically fell asleep. We simply couldn't get enough of each other. I had been at her house for the first time in February of 2014 when I met her family for the first time while collecting her for an under 16 dance, our first of many dinner dances together. I instantly loved her family. They were, and still are to this day, the most warm, wholesome and welcoming family you can ever meet. They symbolise absolutely everything that is great about Irish society, good, honest, kind and hard-working people that I am so lucky to call family. The following two years were followed by the two of us constantly staying close and in touch with each other and deep down we both knew that we still both really liked each other but we just never took the next step. All this time that we weren't 
technically together, we did stay in regular contact. We both knew absolutely everything there was to know about each other and what we were doing on a weekly or daily basis. I had a minor hurling dinner dance in February of 2016 and of course, there was only one person that was going to be by my side that night and that was Ashley. In August of 2016, we started to get even closer and closer, which followed through to October 11th of 2016. I remember this night so well. I had just won the Intermediate Hurling Championship with our local hurling club and our celebrations were still going for the third night straight. While being out with all my teammates and having a great time, I was there, as always, texting Ashling all that day and night and at one stage of the night, and for whatever reason, and to this day I don't know what got into me, but I made, in my opinion, the best decision I've made in my entire life. I decided to just leave the pub, get into a taxi and head for home without telling anybody because I had nothing, only tunnel vision for one thing and one thing only. And that was to ring Ashling and tell her exactly how I felt and what she meant to me and that I didn't want to waste any more time and risk losing her. I remember like it literally only yesterday. The call lasted over three hours. I told her everything. At certain stages, the both of us got very emotional on the phone as we both knew it was meant to be and that we were just destined to be soulmates. On the 28th of October 2016, Ashling officially met my parents and my little sister for the first time at my parents' wedding. The first ever embrace between Ashling and my parents was caught on camera in the background on the dance floor footage, which thankfully, and by chance, made it into their wedding video. This was the real beginning of how me and Ashling first met, got to know each other and started our relationship. Although I found out on the 18th of December 2016, while at my house, that we weren't officially going out as I had never officially asked her to be my girlfriend. So it was on that night that I officially asked Ashling to be my girlfriend and this became our anniversary date, which worked out perfectly as I had a surprise gift for Christmas to give to her that night, which was the first ever gift I got her a rose gold Daniel Wellington watch with a brown leather strap that I knew she really wanted for a long time. A watch that she practically never took off and wore every day and a watch that her mother Kathleen now wears every day. The next five years of our relationship were filled with nothing but so much love, happiness, joy, adventure, trust and most importantly, respect. It was quite simply heaven on earth. I never could have imagined it being possible to fall for someone so quickly and as much at such a young age. What we had was very, very special and we both knew it. We had gone through and experienced so much together and made so many beautiful memories as we practically grew up together. Such memories include our countless trips away together, countless holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, helping each other through leaving certificate helping each other through four years of college, helping each other start our working careers and also helping each other through times of difficulty and loss. Honestly, Ashley knew me better than I knew myself. She could literally read me like a book, knew exactly what mood I was in and exactly what to do or say to cheer me up. And I know for a fact this went both ways and there was nothing I loved more than cheering her up when she was having a bad day. In the entire time that we were together, we never had one single disagreement or one single little argument, which is something I loved about our relationship. I like to think that that was down to the fact that we both loved and respected each other too much to even consider having an argument. We were both such planners. We loved to plan ahead and look towards the future. We had made so many plans together such as moving in together, starting our careers, traveling the world together, building a house together, having kids and starting a family, proposing to her, getting married. The list just goes on and on. We'd planned to move to Galway in late summer of 2022 and live together for one year as I was due to be starting my new job in Boston Scientific in Galway. After this, we had plans to move to Dubai for one or two years as it was always Ashling's dream for as long as I've known her, to teach in Dubai. After Dubai, was going to be coming home and building our house, which we'd already spent so many hours designing together over the Christmas of 2021. We had plans of setting up a joint bank account so we could get started and doing percolation testing 
as we were due to be meeting the architect in January or February of 2022 to walk the site we had picked and discuss what our next step was going to be. We often discussed how many kids we'd love to have and how they'd all be mighty little hurlers or camogie players and even better musicians. One thing Ashlyn used to always say to me was that if we were lucky enough to have a little boy someday, she wanted to call him Rian, which is Irish for Ryan. In terms of marriage, there was just no question. I was going to marry the girl of my dreams and my soulmate. We talked about marrying each other a lot. I knew the exact type of engagement ring that she'd love. We would talk about the wedding day itself and all the fine details of what the day would be like, what type of dress she'd love, uh, who would be the bridal party, how it would be in the church, where the reception would be, just everything. Even down to what our wedding song would be, which Ashling always wanted to be, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? from The Lion King. When I used to drive home from her house, after either spending the night, dropping her home or just visiting, I always every time without fail, would smile to myself while driving out her driveway and say out loud in the car, I can't wait to marry that girl someday. I would have married Ashling a long time ago if I could, and I wish I did, but we just didn't get the chance to reach that part of our plan. Last year, on the 12th of January, I lost so much more than my girlfriend. I've lost my partner in life, my closest friend, my best friend. I've lost my parent-in-laws, a sister-in-law, a brother-in-law. The privilege of marrying into the Murphy and Leonard family, a role model for my little sister, future grandchildren from my parents and Ashley's parents and great-grandchildren from my grandparents. Everything that I ever wanted in life, every single plan that I had in life is now gone and cannot be brought back. Ashley was simply everything to me and this is what I've lost. I've simply lost everything. Ashling was just everything. The pain of losing someone who is so important to you is indescribable. It's a pain that I cannot describe. I never knew there was a pain as severe and long-lasting as the physical and emotional pain that comes with losing the most important person in your life, and especially in such a horrific, senseless, and just beyond evil act by such an insignificant, lowest of the low waste of life. It just doesn't make any sense to me how somebody who is just so insignificant, worthless, a lowest of the low, a burden to society, an overall waste of life can completely and permanently destroy so many people's lives by taking the life of a person who is the complete opposite. A life with meaning, a life with dreams, a life of love and compassion, respect, a person who contributed to society in the best ways possible. The last 22 months have been the toughest 22 months of my life and will always be the toughest 22 months of my life and this will continue to be the toughest time of my life. Over the course of the last 22 months, I've had to deal with a lot of personal struggles, thoughts and difficult challenges as a result of losing my soulmate Ashling, such as not being able to sleep at night. And when I do finally sleep, my mind doesn't shut down as I constantly have a wide range of both pleasant and not so pleasant dreams. I sit at the shrine I've made for her in my room before going to bed every night and tell her about my day, which always ends badly. Every night when I get into bed, I say to Ashling that I'm one more day closer to seeing her again. Wishing I didn't wake up when going to bed. The countless days where... I didn't get out of bed. Not getting her good night, I love you in person or text before going to bed. Going to bed every night alone and without her by my side. Not wanting to finish college and to quit my degree. The countless days where I felt I was in no way in control of my own mind. Losing all of my self-confidence. Constantly hating and punishing myself for having small, intermitting moments of happiness not allowing myself to be happy at all and feeling guilty if I was, killing myself with guilt if I do anything that's in any way enjoyable. The feeling of being completely lost in life with no direction and seeing no light at the end of any tunnel. The horrendous feeling of being surrounded by so many people but yet feeling so isolated and alone. Not having that person in your life anymore that you can truly open up to like I used to with Ashling. 
There are now times where I don't want to and I'm simply not able to talk to anyone. Reply to messages, answer or return phone calls, even when it's my closest friends or family. I've become a lot angrier and a more short-fused person as I've lashed out at family and friends, which is against my nature and not who I really am, and I hate it. The anger boils so hot in me sometimes that it makes me feel physically sick. I'm constantly second-guessing myself with every single decision I have to make, no matter how big or small it is, and this especially follows through to my work, as I know in my heart and soul that my mind, my focus, and my memory is just nowhere near as sharp as it used to be which just kills me when I make errors that I know I just shouldn't be making. The constant pressure of pushing on a brave face and having to hide how I'm actually feeling and having to carry on about my day and complete my tasks, both in work and outside of work. Not being able to watch or listen to anything with the slightest bit of violence in it anymore, even simple things like using a knife to eat, I now hate knives. I hate holding knives. I even hate looking at them. I still have to use them to eat. But every single time I'm finished, I just put it away from me immediately because I cannot stop my mind from wandering, no matter how hard I try. There are a number of specific songs that also catch me off guard, which remind me of specific moments that I shared with Ashling. I just find myself constantly missing her presence. I just can't stop thinking about her every second of every single day. I'm constantly recalling and playing over and over again our memories in my head. But in particular, the last day I saw her in person, which was the 10th of January, at my house, when she was dropping off some shopping she had done for us, as we were all stuck at home isolating because there was COVID in our house at the time. And all we wanted to do was give each other a big hug. But we didn't as Ashing and I were due to be flying to Manchester on the 21st of January, so we were afraid that we wouldn't be allowed to fly if one of us got COVID. I can't describe the horrendous feeling of regret every time I think of this moment. There was a brief moment where I was standing beside her and she was standing at her car door just before she sat in, where we just stood looking into each other's eyes for about three to four seconds until we both just pouted from not being able to give each other a hug and a kiss, then laughed and said our goodbyes and said to each other what we always have said to each other every single night for five years straight. I love you. And I ask myself each and every time, why didn't I just give her a huge hug and never let her go? These are just a few brief examples just the tip of the iceberg, of what it's been like to somehow try and continue on in life without Ashling being a part of it. This horrific, senseless and completely evil taking of Ashling's life is our life sentence that we have to bear for the remainder of our lives. A sentence in which there is no parole. Ashling was only 23. She was still so young. She had so much more life and love to give. She was taken from us far too soon. I think everybody can agree that 23 years can go by in the blink of an eye and yet the maximum sentence for taking someone's entire life and completely destroying the lives of their entire family in this country isn't even 23 years. This quite simply has to be taken into consideration when sentencing this absolute indescribable waste of space by sentencing him to the absolute maximum number of years that's possible, which in my opinion, in this country, is still nowhere near enough. It just sickens me to the core that someone can come to this country, be fully supported in terms of social housing, social welfare and free medical care for over 10 years, never hold down a legitimate job and never once contribute to society in any shape or form, can commit such a horrendous evil act of incomprehensible violence on such a beautiful, loving and talented person who in fact worked for the state, educating the next generation and represented everything that is good about Irish society. I feel like this country is no longer the country that Ashing and I grew up in and has officially lost its innocence when a crime of this magnitude can be perpetrated in broad daylight. This country needs to wake up. This time, things have got to change. We have to, once and for all, start putting the safety of not only Irish people, but everybody in this country who works hard, pays taxes, raises families and overall contributes to society first. 
We don't want to see any other family in this country go through what we have gone through and are continuing to go through. I myself have a little sister and honestly, just the thought of her walking the streets of any village, town or city in this country alone makes me physically sick and quite frankly, absolutely terrifies me as this country is simply not safe anymore. This time, if real change does not happen, if the safety of people living in this country is further ignored, I'm afraid our country is heading down a very dangerous path and you can be certain that we will not be the last family to be in this position. I don't think we'll ever truly know why this evil, evil description of a human decided to take our Ashling from us. But all I will say to you is this. And at this point, I should say, Ryan turned to face Josef Pushka as he sat in the dock and he said to him, You have no idea, nor did you ever and will never have any idea, the level of connection and love that Ashling and I shared. You have no idea what you have stolen from us. You have no idea how much Ashling meant to us. You have no idea of the love we had for each other. Because of you, I've lost my Ashling. Because of you, I've lost everything I've ever wanted in life. Because of you, I'll never get to marry my soulmate. Because of you, I will never hear her voice again. Because of you, I will never see her smile again. Because of you, I will have to somehow carry on without her. Because of you, I will have to remember her longer than I've known her. I don't care where you end up or what happens to you after today, but you smirked, you smiled, and you showed zero remorse throughout this trial, which sums up who you really are, the epitome of pure evil. But one thing is for sure, you will never, ever harm or touch another woman ever again. And when your day of reckoning comes, may you be in hell a whole half hour before God even knows you're dead. God, you really get a sense of their relationship, how close they were and the immeasurable loss that he's experiencing. Absolutely, yes. And and as I said, I mean, the strength that he showed to deliver that himself mm. when he didn't have to and also the bravery facing his girlfriend, the love of his life, facing her killer. And, and saying all those things to him directly as well, it was um, incredibly powerful. Um, fair play to him. He he, he certainly did himself um, and Ashling very proud today. 100%. And then next, Ashling's sister, Amy, she also delivered a victim impact statement. And she, like Ryan before her, faced Pushka in the dock from time to time. And here's what she had to say. Our job as children was to set the dinner table for five people every day. I spent years listening, watching and adoring over the young girl, my sister, who grew to become the soil that kept our family and friends nourished with positivity, humour and hope. It was the hustle and bustle of it all. Matches here, flas there. Every evening our kitchen was filled with music and the normalities of everyday life. But we always set the table for five. As our young Ashling grew up, she became the glue that bound our tightly knit family together. Taking after mum, there was a warm smile. After dad, a cheeky wit and wink. Ashling brought the best out of us. Our parents instilled a strong work ethic in Ashling, and she knew the value of a pound. They taught her that nothing is handed to you in this life and if she wanted something, she would have to earn it and that she did. Although she was the youngest, there was no doubt that she was everyone's role model. Every day, Ashling would bounce in the door asking, how are we? Wearing her big, friendly smile and beaming with positivity. She had such an endearing personality and was so generous with her time, her love and her talents, giving so much of herself to others. Musicians of all ages were welcomed into our home every week to learn and absorb Ashling's talent and passion for music and listen to her stories hanging on to her every word. The eerie quietness that now remains in the house is deafening. Like many young ladies, Ashling took pride in her appearance and loved her style. 
for Ashling, shopping could only be described as a competitive sport, which, of course, she took first place in. She quite literally could have bought shares in Zara. The week of her death saw multiple delivery drivers arrive at our door with tears in their eyes, handing over yet another parcel with Ashling's name on it. Those online shopping deliveries still sit on her bed today, unopened. Ashling was a vibrant, outgoing 23-year-old just merely starting out on her career as a primary school teacher. She had just graduated less than three months previous and the world was her oyster. All her hard work up to this point had paid off and she was reaping the rewards of life. Ashling was born to be a teacher and loved every second of it, be that in a school classroom or in her music lessons. She personified all the qualities any mother or father would want in their child's teacher. Ms Murphy had 28 first class students and was like a second mammy to them, always going above and beyond to make sure they met their full potential and enjoyed school life. There were many evenings Ashling got delayed leaving school as she pondered over the most creative elf-on-the-shelf ideas that she knew would bring so much joy to the children. She awaited their reaction each morning, knowing the excitement it brought to their classroom. As a surprise, she baked gingerbread men for each and every one of them at Christmas. Her baking supplies now sit untouched in the press at home. She immersed herself in all things the school life had to offer, helping out with the school choir and music groups whenever she could, always encouraging the children with genuine affection and enthusiasm. It breaks our hearts that she was stolen from the many wonderful students she made an impact on, who are now left broken-hearted at her sudden departure, a void which cannot be filled. When Ashling wasn't in school, she was clocking miles in her granddad's red car a car with which she drove with such pride as she inherited it after her beloved granddad passed away. She had a very special bond with him and on his last Christmas, he gifted her a pink woolly hat with a bobble on top. Both her red car and pink woolly hat were repeatedly referenced throughout the evidence given in this case. After a period of time following Ashling's murder, we eventually got her car back. My heart sank when I opened the front passenger door to find a half-eaten slice of toast and a half-drank mug of tea along with her handbag, teaching supplies and a hurl sitting in the front seat. All signs of a young woman preoccupied with the comings and goings of her busy, everyday life. What might seem like chaos to many, a normal weekend for Ashling regularly included teaching music lessons, gigging, camogie matches, working in a local restaurant or driving to Dublin for orchestra rehearsals. She juggled 101 tasks effortlessly with a smile on her face. She had to try pencil in meeting her boyfriend Ryan in what little free time she had. He never stood in her way, however, and always encouraged her to achieve all her goals. Ashling did not want for extraordinary things. However, she had many plans for her future. Ryan was the love of her life and they intended to build a future together. They were in the early stages of securing a site and plans to build their future home were well underway. I see so many similarities between Ashling and our mother. They are both kind, gentle and great listeners. I have no doubt Ashling would have been an exceptional mother too. Children were at the forefront of her everyday life and she had so much love to give them. Our lives were enormously enriched because of Ashling. She was charismatic, compassionate and her infectious laugh could light up any room. As siblings do, she could roast myself or Cahill with some of her best one-liners. However, she never sought to be the centre of attention. She had the ability to strike up a conversation with anyone, irrespective of their age, and made them feel like they genuinely had a friend in her. Her zest for life was palpable to anybody that was in her company. She did so much for absolutely everyone, yet no one was there when she needed them most, including her family. We would have done anything to be there by her side to protect her, hold her hand and catch her tears. Ashling excelled in every aspect of her life, yet remained incredibly humble. She embodied many of the great traits and qualities of the Irish people through music, teaching, GAA, agus an Gaelga. Her life had a huge impact on so many of those around her and she was the epitome of a perfect role model for every little girl to aspire to be. 
She was not only an integral part of our family, but she was also a huge shining light in our community, a community in which she, year in, year out, gave back to in every way she could. This country has lost someone who made a difference. Moonthor, sister, daughter, partner and friend, all accomplished before the tender age of 23. She had learned more in those short few years than most learn in their lifetime and not in the academic sense. She valued those most important to her and chose a career that brought so much meaning to her life. Ashling's legacy of love, giving and caring will live on, but that bears little comfort to us. We want her here safe in our arms today. We as a family have tried our best to remain dignified and composed throughout this investigation and murder trial. This is the first time we can truly express the deep hurt and loss experienced by us. It has been widely documented that Ashling Murphy's murder was a watershed moment demanding an end to violence against women in Ireland. Ashling was described as the catalyst for change in society as we know it. Titles she did not ask for. Titles we wish on no daughter, sister or partner. For us, she is Ashling, but for many, her story will haunt the internet through the clickbait article titles, trending Twitter threads and invasive podcast episodes using the contents of her story for popularity. With this, we as a family have been thrust into an arena as victims that we never asked for, but were compelled to participate in, in order to ensure justice for Ashling. We still set our table for five people, even though this world has changed for us in ways we could never before imagine. I have never felt hatred like this. We were not raised to be like this. Our parents instilled core values on us, taught us right from wrong and to be respectful of others. But these actions against Ashling have permanently and indefinitely tainted our outlook on society forevermore. Up until the 12th of January 2022, we saw the best in humanity. Now we are cautious and nervous. Now we look over our shoulders everywhere we go and are suspicious of strangers. It is so very difficult to trust people now, to open our door, to welcome people in. The table wasn't just set for dinner. It's where we gathered around together, her and I. With our instruments in hand and the instrument cases thrown under the table, we would spend hours together learning, listening and practising together. Music is not and will never be the same without Ashling. Our love for Irish music was intertwined with our special bond. We could read each other's mind when we played together. Each wink and smile she sent my way as her fingers created something beautiful beyond sound was her connection, our connection together. Something that we had such a passion for and spent so much of our time doing is completely and irreparably destroyed. I miss her vibrant fiddle playing so much and the sheer joy it brought her. Ashling's pink fiddle case now lies at home, covered in dust. For me, this serves as the harshest and cruelest reminder we will never play together again and of how fragile this life truly is. At night we cannot sleep. We hear her cries and screams that were silenced by injustice, watch her tears shed and envision the suffering that she endured while bravely fighting her vicious and vile murderer, Josef Pushka. This inhumane act of depravity highlights to us how naive we were to the dangers lingering in our society. One need not travel to the depths of inner cities to be the subject of the extremes of criminality. We were blissfully unaware that we were living amongst total evil and that he was right under our noses in our community, practically on our doorstep, in fact. Crossing a national border does not automatically instil a moral code in a person. You were given an Irish welcome and supported by the state to allow you to reside here. You repaid this by brutally murdering a beautiful, talented girl who contributed so much to society. We are relieved that after today, we do not have to spend any more time in the vicinity of this vile human being. Your lies and deceit knows no bounds. At no point did you make efforts to take responsibility for your actions. Quite the contrary, really. You sat in this very seat and gave evidence before the court demanding your innocence. To add insult to injury, you proceeded to spin a ludicrous web of lies suggesting you were in fact helping Ashling in her dying moments and not inflicting these deadly injuries. 
I am in total disbelief that such evil could attempt to masquerade as a good Samaritan. Shame on him for disrespecting the memory of Ashling like that. The trauma and suffering you have inflicted upon our family far outweighs any punishment you ever receive. The public are often quick to criticise the failings of Angarda Shikana, but forget to thank them when great work has been done. We commend the Gardaí for exhaustively and comprehensively piecing together our robust and thorough investigation. Extensive CCTV formed a significant part of the evidence in this case. In the aftermath of Ashling's murder, we were promised by those in positions of power that additional CCTV would be installed in our local public spaces in Tullamore, including the Grand Canal Greenway. This was to ensure women could safely go about their daily lives. These were empty promises that never came to fruition. Before the trial commenced, I had hoped that Ashling lost consciousness quickly in an attempt to alleviate any further suffering she experienced. Unfortunately, we now know from the data on her smartwatch that she fought long and hard for her life. I agonise over whether you had already inflicted your first blow before she was hurled off the canal pavement. Had you time to place your bike down into the ditch as you knew she had already sustained a fatal injury and the rest was yet to come? Ashling's last 10 minutes on this earth must have felt like the longest 10 minutes of her existence as she fought for her life. You stole her life, you took her voice, you robbed us of our family of five. By pleading not guilty, this man has ensured our family had to sit through every detail of this trial. We are traumatised by the heinous act of violence and brutality you subjected Ashling to. Our worst nightmare replayed over and over through each piece of footage, each witness, every statement. Hours of surveillance, the descriptions of her wounds, her mouth, her legs, her face, her hair, her scarf, her Fitbit and her last beating heartbeats. How could any human inflict such hate on innocence? We were totally disturbed by Josef Pushka's demeanour as Dr sally Ann Collis read out details of the autopsy report. Smiling and smirking, you appeared to get some enjoyment out of hearing the harrowing evidence of Ashling's injuries. Your total lack of empathy and remorse will forever haunt me and only reaffirms that evil is real and it might be behind us at any point. After her death, we were informed that an accused suspect may request a review of the post-mortem. As a result, we could not touch Ashling while she was in the mortuary. We could not hug her or hold her. As the days went on, we were forced to spend less and less time with her as she had not been embalmed yet. We were left not knowing with any real certainty when we could bring Ashling home. Even after her death, you seemed to play a hand in controlling what happened to her. Sitting through this trial, hearing the harrowing details of this case has been traumatising. Seeing Ashling's blood-soaked white t-shirt and GAA half-zip produced in court is a moment that will haunt me for the rest of my days. We were acutely aware of maintaining composure in court at all times in an effort not to jeopardise the case. It felt as if our mother was being reprimanded for her emotional outcry when footage of Ashling's last moments was played in court as she started her walk onto the canal line. CCTV footage no parent should ever have to watch. Although Justice Hunt warned us at the beginning of the trial, nothing could have prepared us for the cold, clinical and dispassionate manner in which the trial was undertaken, highlighting how legal proceedings are not and never will be victim-focused. On the 12th of January 2022, at 3.31pm, these precious attributes of Ashling were stolen from us and replicated into what became evidence in a crime against innocence. It is difficult to comprehend that there is such evil in this world. The day Ashling died, an important piece of all of us died with her. Losing Ashling was the hardest, most devastating thing our family has ever been through and we will never be the same. We have lost our motivation for life. Aspirations and goals no longer seem relevant or helpful. Why have any hopes or dreams for the future when it can be so easily destroyed in an instant? a future not worth living if Ashling is not in it. Our hearts are immeasurably sad. No amount of medication or counselling could cease the excruciating pain we feel every hour of every day. 
it is a struggle to undertake the simplest of tasks. It kills Cahill and I to watch our parents suffer. They are torn apart with despair and a light in them has been quenched forever. Our parents are brave, persevering examples of individuals trying their best to put one foot in front of the other each day and every day while quietly mourning the loss of their little girl, their daughter, our baby sister. At night we cannot sleep. We are consumed by what can only be described as nightmares, replaying the horrific events of the 12th of January with an irrepressible feeling of guilt that we weren't there to save her. Some mornings you wake up and for a split second you believe Ashling is there in the house with you. Then the excruciating pain of your harsh reality comes rushing back. She did so much for absolutely everyone, yet no one was there when she needed them most, including her family. This is so much worse than a nightmare, you see, as when we wake up, we must endure the agonising reality that she is no longer with us. This monster trespassed into our lives and stole the person most important to us in the most unforgivable way. We are repulsed at this grotesque act and the manner in which Ashling was taken from us. It is nothing short of pure torture thinking of the terror Ashling must have felt being thrown down into that deep, dark undergrowth and that he was the last person she saw on this earth, the utmost evil she has ever encountered in her entire life. Hell, in my wildest imagination, doesn't come close to the suffering that Ashling endured. Ashling died alone, petrified, frightened and injured by the malicious and inhumane brutalities of Josef Pushka. It doesn't matter now what happens as nothing in this world can ever bring our darling Ashling back and that is the cross we must carry for the rest of our days. However, this sentencing will ensure no other family will suffer the loss of their loved ones at the hands of this man. There are no words that could accurately encapsulate Ashling and the effect her loss has had on our family. As a big sister, I could not protect her while she was alive. All I can attempt to do now is protect her memory. Ashling was subject to incomprehensible violence by this predator who was not known to her. She never taught his children and did not report them to Tuzla for neglect. These false narratives are both hurtful and damaging. This was a random, unprovoked attack. Ashling filled her life with positivity. It's hard to imagine the glow of her bright personality being diminished, strike by strike, with each stab wound. We have been denied a future with Ashling and all the wonderful things that come with that. A father who will never walk his youngest daughter down the aisle on her wedding day. A mother who will never get to spoil and dote upon her future grandchildren. Momentous occasions erased forever. We have 23 years of memories with Ashling, 23 years of lessons, of love and of laughter. Now we must endure years of life without her. But we as a family will continue to set the table for five. The gap is more than just her empty chair. There is a constant palpable void in our family without Ashling. The tapestry of memories we all share of Ashling cannot be unwoven, but to our greatest devastation, we can't weave in any more threads. We cherish each and every moment we had with her, but that bears little solace to us. Our family must now endure our own life sentence for which there is no parole. No visiting rights, no weekend calls, no emails, no texts, no letters, no care packages. There are no roadmaps to life, but I can assure you of this. After today, I will never, ever give Josef Pushka the privilege that I am thinking about him. He shall not live rent-free in the back of my mind. However, I am and will forever be consumed by Ashling. Her warmth, her beauty, the meaning she brought to life. That is both the hardest pill to swallow and the greatest honour I will wear in this life. Another um, absolutely in- incredible statement. Uh, it was it was very plain for all to see the close bond that, that Ashling and Amy clearly had and those memories that they shared together and she held her in such high regard and 
again, just like Ryan before her, um, did herself and Ashling, you know, so proud today. It really was um, remarkable at what she, where she found the strength to get up and, and do that. And as we mentioned earlier, um, a statement was also read out on behalf of Ashling's heartbroken mother, Kathleen. This was read out by one of the Garda liaison officers, uh, Sergeant Lucy McLaughlin, who, along with uh, her colleague, Detective Garda Alan Burke, took such great care of the family throughout this whole process. And it was so obvious to all that they've become close. Um, and, and there were even moments during um, Sergeant McLaughlin's um, reading out of that statement where she became upset uh, from time to time as she read out Kathleen's words. And Kathleen began her statement by describing her daughter, Ashling as one in a million. She said that she was loving, caring, always had a gentle big smile for everyone. She said that she always thought about everyone else before herself. She said she took pride in herself. And despite her young age, again, just 23 years of age, Kathleen said that Ashling had accomplished so much, yet always stayed grounded and humble. She spoke about her love of fashion and music. She said that she had an infectious laugh, but that she never wanted to be the centre of attention. She said Ashling knew her place in life. She was a great listener. She said their house was alive with music every night as she played her fiddle. And she said that she missed her sweet music in their home. She said it breaks her heart not hearing it. She said that Ashing loved passing on her music to her younger students and playing music at home with her sister Amy and her father Ray. She said that she loved playing camogie and she said that she missed going to her camogie matches and her music concerts. She said they visited so many wonderful places together, met people who became lifelong friends because of Ashling's talents. She said she was the thoughtful one in the family and the chief organiser in their home. And she spoke about how Ashling brought herself, um, Amy uh, and Kathleen on a day out to a spa. Uh, she said that she brought them to see Westlife twice. She booked a family day out to the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin. That was as a Christmas present to them all a week before she was taken from them. Um, she said Ashling always looked forward to family coming over to visit. She loved catching up with her cousins, uh, her aunts and uncles and filling them in on her busy life. Everyone wanted to be in her company, she said. She said that she missed her smiling face coming home after her a day's work in school. And she said that she and Ashling never had a row, something that Ryan also said in his statement, um, clearly indicative of the person that Ashling was. And in her statement, Kathleen said that she was too nice. You could never have a row with Ashling. She said she used to love cooking, uh, always prepared the dinner on a Friday while she was in town doing the grocery shopping. And in return, she'd always bring her home a bar of chocolate. Um, she said that Ashling was every mum and dad's dream daughter. And she then turned her attention to the nightmare that took hold some 22 months ago now. And she said that her heart broke the moment she heard the news that Ashling had been murdered. She described it as like having a stroke. She said her heart was ripped from her body. She said that her memory was affected, her motivation, drive, her love for life, gone forever. She said there is such a void in their house and in their life. She said it's horrendous. She said she can't bear it. She said she's no longer able for big crowds of people or for small talk. And she also spoke about how she used to go for a walk or a jog after dinner on a Sunday with her daughters, Ashling and Amy. And she said, I will not go for a walk anymore as I am too afraid of that monster. She said his actions will always be in the back of her mind. And she said, people say that you're doing great. But underneath, she said, she's just barely existing from day to day. She said, people also say that Ashing is in a better place now. And she said she knows this, but she said Ashing didn't want to go to that place. It wasn't her time. She would want to be here on this earth with Ryan, her family and her first class students living life to the fullest. Being the youngest granddaughter, Kathleen said Ashling had a very special relationship with her grandfather, Paddy, who lived next door. Ashling drove Paddy's red car with pride after he passed away. She said that she's glad none of her grandparents were alive to witness the total devastation their family has endured following Ashling's murder. And she said she hoped they wrapped her up in their arms and comforted her in heaven. She said that on that night, the night that heartbreaking news came to their doorstep, 
Ashling's untouched dinner was found in the bottom of the oven by her uncle Des as he went to fill the fire. All the simplicities of life, she said, were destroyed in an instant and the sudden realisation dawned on them that she would never walk through the door of their home again. She said, I would give our house, car and every penny I have to have our beautiful Ashling with us. Ashling did everything right in life. She said she didn't take risks. She said Ashling would be alive today if that evil, evil monster did not come upon her. This was a random, unprovoked attack, she said. She said she believed this coward came from behind and didn't face her. And she said that Ashing didn't stand a chance against this evil monster that was armed with a knife. Why somebody could go out and brutally murder a young woman who they've never met before is totally incomprehensible, she said. His actions must have consequences. He should never see the light of day again. How can his family look at him after he inflicted this unforgivable act? Kathleen then spoke in her statement about that morning when Ashley left the house and she said that before she left, she told her that she was going to be home from school a little bit later that afternoon because she was going to go for a jog along the canal line after work. And Kathleen said that she begged her not to go there as it had always made her feel ill at ease and she asked her to go jogging somewhere closer to home. To this, she said Ashley responded, Ah, mum, I'm 23 years old. And she gave her a big hug as she said, I love you. You're the best mum in the world. And she then walked out the door. And Kathleen said in her statement that as a parent, you want your child to go out into this world and to live a full and meaningful life, yet being acutely aware of how fragile their safety is, wanting to protect them. And tragically, she said, she couldn't protect her darling Ashling, and now she's gone forever. It is so heartbreaking and I know this must be difficult for people who are listening to this at the moment, but it is also of the utmost importance that these words are heard. It, it really is. It, it really is because I suppose the purpose of victim impact statements um, ordinarily is to highlight to a sentencing judge how a family has been affected by the actions and the crimes of of another. Now, clearly, when it comes to murder cases, as we've spoken about previously and again today, it's a one size fits all. So victim impact statements don't necessarily don't at all really affect the sentence that a judge hands down. But it's still really important for everybody to realise the devastation that this family has felt and is going through and is still grieving. You know, Ashling Murphy became a lightning rod for all sorts of conversations in the aftermath of her death, mm -hmm. really important conversations, as we spoke about in the last episode about femicide and violence against women. But let's not forget that she was also a daughter, a sister, a girlfriend, a friend to all of these amazing people. And they have been utterly devastated by what that monster has has done to them. Yeah. And after those incredibly moving and powerful statements were made, all that was left to do was for the judge to sentence Pushka. Mm. And before he did, he said the one thing that struck him since the trial ended last week was how supportive people are of Ashling's family. He said that he had cause to travel around the country since the verdict was delivered. And he said that through his conversations with the decent people that he met along the way, he said that um, they're 1000 percent behind them. And he also said that, and this was a reference to something that Amy had said in her victim impact statement. He said that it wasn't his intention to be harsh when he asked the family during the trial to um, try and keep their emotions in check. That's not exactly what he said, but that was the point that he was that he was trying to make during difficult evidence. He said his concern was for them, the family, Ashling's family, because he said he lives in a world where even to look crossways at a jury at two months into a trial or wherever it may be could land you before an appeals court. And again, this is something that we were able to talk about in, in the last episode where shows of emotion like that, um, a family becoming visibly upset during difficult evidence could be seen to be trying to influence a, a jury. So that, that's what the judge was getting at. And he referenced it again today. But he did say uh, that if he'd given any other impression than that, that his concern was for them and for making sure that the trial got to the finish line. He said, if you give any other impression than any other impression than that, he was sorry, but that his heart was in 
uh, the right place. Um, Mr. Justice Hunt also spoke about the dignity and the composure that the family showed in the face of what must have been provocative and brazen lies that they heard when Josef Pushka took the stand uh, last week. Interestingly, he also mentioned something that we've spoken about previously on the podcast, this one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to sentencing murderers in Mm -hmm. this country. We spoke about this at the top of this episode, and he said that it's long past time that judges should have some say in setting minimum terms uh, when it comes to handing down sentences in these types of cases. He said that if he had the power to set a term, it would be a very long one. And he also spoke about whole life sentences. Um, judges here don't have the option of handing down a whole life sentence. They do in other jurisdictions like the UK and the US, for example. And Mr. Justice Tony Hunt said today that this is the kind of case where a whole life sentence would be considered if it were available to him, which was so a very interesting thing for a trial judge of his experience um, and status to say. He then turned to the dock and told Yosef Pushka to stand before handing down that mandatory life sentence, a sentence he said, and I think we all can agree on this, that he so richly deserves. And just before half past one then this afternoon, He directed for Mr. Pushka to be taken away, but not before telling him that the only thing we don't know in relation to Ashling's murder is the why. And he said that until we know the answer to that question, and there's only one person who can answer that, and it's Yosef Pushka, he said, until we know the answer to that question, the question of his safe return to society must be a very open one. And with that, Pushka was led away to begin his life sentence. Yes, and as you can imagine, there were emotional scenes in court when that happened. Um, Everybody stayed in the courtroom for quite some time afterwards. And as I left, I noticed Ashling's father, Ray, um, holding the hands of the interpreter who was translating Josef Pushka's evidence throughout the trial. She was visibly upset and he seemed to be comforting her. Um, having a few kind words with her before he left the courtroom. And when he did, he was greeted by um, quite a large crowd of family members, friends, supporters who have been there day in, day out throughout the trial and undoubtedly since Ashling was taken from them in January of last year and he got a round of applause. So too did Catherine and Amy and Cahill and Ryan um, when they all left uh, the courtroom this afternoon. Truly remarkable scenes outside uh, that courtroom. Um, Nobody seemed to want to leave. Everybody was hugging and embracing one another. Um, A a, a very loud round of applause as as the family left and um, quite a fitting and a a lovely, a lovely moment when, when everything was done and dusted. Yeah. The last thing that we want to bring listeners, Frank, is some audio from outside court just after those moments, because during today's hearing, the judge was also very complimentary of the thorough investigation into what happened to Ashling. And outside of court, Chief Superintendent Tony Lonigan of the Leash Offaly Division had a few words for the gathered media. Um, I'd just like to take this opportunity on behalf of Angada Shikana to note the conviction today for the murder of Ashley Murphy and the life sentence that has been imposed on Joseph Pushka. Ashley, a national school teacher, was out for a walk after work when she was attacked and murdered by Mr. Pushka. This monstrous crime shocked the nation. I want to pay tribute to all the members of Angara Shikan involved in this investigation and in particular my colleagues at Tullamore Gada Station from where the investigation was led. The investigation team were professional and steadfast in their determination that the person responsible for Ashling's murder would be brought to justice. I also most importantly then want to thank the community of Tullamore, a compassionate, kind, resilient and generous community. They were of invaluable assistance to Angara Shikana throughout this investigation, providing us in particular with access to CCTV, which was instrumental in building the case against Mr. Pushkin and to achieving a successful prosecution. The community also has and continues to support Ashling's family. Finally, I would like to pay tribute to Ashling's family. 
her mother Cassie, her father Ray, her sister Amy, brother Cahal, and indeed her boyfriend Ryan. The courage, the dignity, the resilience and the strength that they have shown during this ordeal has been exemplary. I want to assure them on behalf of Angara Shikana that we will continue to support them going forward and give them all the support we can where necessary. Finally, I would like to repeat the family's request for privacy around this time as they continue to process the enormity of the murder and the loss of Ashley. May she rest in peace. Thank you very much. And so that's it for episode 20 of All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Joseph Pushka became a convicted murderer last week and he has now begun his life sentence for what he did to Ashling. And that's it from us. This has been a gruelling few weeks for Ashling's family and a hellish uh, 22 months for them. They'll never be the same again, as they put it so eloquently in their statements today. They're the ones who have been handed the life sentence. Pushka is likely to get a second chance at living his life. Ashling sadly won't. And there will be no release from the sentence her family uh, will now serve. I do hope today is of some comfort to them to at least know that the monster, this complete stranger who took Ashling from them, is behind bars and will remain there for a very long time. She was just 23 when she was stolen from her loved ones, but she touched many lives during what little time she had on this earth. She touched even more after she was gone. And to that end, her memory and legacy will live on in all those who were lucky enough to have known her to have learned from her. And to that end, I'd love to give a mention to the Ashley Murphy Memorial Fund, which was set up by the family and others in the wake of her death to promote and develop the traditional arts, culture and heritage for young people. Her memory will certainly live on in all those who pick up a fiddle in her name. Thanks for listening. All Rise, the Ashley Murphy Murder Trial was hosted by Frank Graney, and Ashling Moore with sound design by Lachlan Hart. Follow the podcast on Newstalk.com, on the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud, or wherever you get your podcasts.